Welcome to Law Technology Now with attorney Monica Bay, editor-in-chief of ALM's award-winning Law Technology News Magazine and website. Here's the latest hot topic in the intersection of law and technology. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hi, I'm Monica Bay, editor-in-chief of Law Technology News. Welcome to the September edition of Law Technology Now. We have a great guest today, Robert, who's known as Rob Siegel, who is with Exceed, and that is a venture capitalist capital organization in Silicon Valley. Let me dive right into it and hand the mic to Rob. And Rob, tell us a little bit about uh, Exceed and how you got involved with it. Well, thanks, Monica. It's great to be here. Uh, Exceed is an early stage venture capital firm. We invest in companies uh, that have technology as a key differentiator, and we invest at the very earliest stages of an organization's beginnings, uh, when usually you've got a few people with an idea and perhaps a prototype of a product, and they're looking to build a large organization. Like most venture capital firms, uh, in particular in Silicon Valley, our goal is to help entrepreneurs build truly large organizations that can have a big impact on markets and if it really goes well on society. Uh, I got involved in venture capital. I've been with Exceed for about six years. I spent most of my career in a variety of operating roles. I worked for large companies like GE and Intel and Sun, but I was also an entrepreneur. I started a company that made all of the original digital picture frames and sold that company to Kodak. I worked for a company that was spun out of Stanford that made image sensors and image processors that got bought by Sony. And back in the day, I actually wrote software for Commodore 64s and 128s originally with a company we took public in the early 90s called GeoWorks. So most of my background had been in running companies, and I was introduced to my business partner, Michael, through a mutual friend. Uh, He had just gotten Exceed started in about seven years ago. And what was happening in the venture capital business is that as most venture funds had gotten increasingly large because they put billions of dollars under management, there was a hole in the market. There wasn't uh, institutional investors. There weren't institutional investors that were providing a lot of the coaching and help that early stage entrepreneurs needed. So we were at the forefront of kind of the move of what has been since called micro VCs, people who manage smaller amounts of capital, funds in the 50 to $75 million range that tend to go in and be very engaged and supportive of entrepreneurs. Now, you first came on my radar because of Codex at Stanford. Can you tell me a little bit, and I understand that you also teach at Stanford, tell me a little bit about what's going on uh, in terms of venture capitalism, specifically at Stanford, but is it also beyond that and in the legal technology arena? I'm very fortunate and lucky. I, I, was, I was able to do my undergraduate work at Cal, at UC Berkeley, and my graduate work at Stanford. And uh, a few years ago, was was lucky enough to be able to join the faculty at the Graduate School of Business at Stanford. And, and what you have in the Bay Area is a confluence of variables that really fosters constant innovation. Even Hewlett-Packard, which was spun out of Stanford and, and the DNA of the institutions where the faculty were often involved in core research that was then commercialized 
that was supported by the university and entrepreneurs and students who went out and started companies, uh, often based upon work that was done in the university and faculty members who supported the commercial efforts, companies like Google, uh, Genentech, et cetera, that all came out of major research institutions, even Cisco, which came out of the Graduate School of Business. And uh, you've got this ecosystem that constantly reinforces itself, young engineers being drawn from all over the world, working on innovative new technologies that have the potential to have big impacts in computer science, in life sciences, uh, and, and even the physical sciences. And uh, you get this mechanism where you have venture capitalists, many of whom went to the universities, lawyers, uh, accountants, and you get this constant innovation and this virtuous circle that's always reinventing itself. And what's happening right now at Stanford is you're, you're seeing, I don't want to call it the formalization, but I'm going to call it the acceleration of startups happening. I see it in my students. Many of them are interested in running large companies. More of them are interested in starting companies that become large. They don't just want to go into a large organization and run it and work their way up the corporate ladder. They want to create something new that grows big. And when you, are, when you have new inventions, you can see how these technologies can be applied to certain commercial verticals and certain commercial opportunities. And the legal profession is one that there is a tr tremendous amount of money that is spent on IT and information uh, in, in those organizations, in law firms and general counsel offices and corporations, money spent on you know, things like Westlaw and LexisNexis. And many of the technologies that, that fueled those products uh, are actually quite old. They're actually uh, 10 or 20 years old. And when you have innovation that comes out of universities, so for example, in the case of Lex Machina, which is a company we funded that came out of Kodak, um, you see uh, world-class researchers in technology like natural language processing figuring out how to partner out of the computer science department with the law school to solve commercial problems. So in the case of Lex, uh, what happened was Chris Manning and Andrew Ng were taking their natural language processing technology and they figured out they could give uh, lawyers and general counsels much better searchable and queryable data on the outcomes of IP litigation. And you could get insights into exactly, uh, you know, how particular lawyers uh, are doing and particular law firms are doing in particular districts and with particular judges. You could find out if you're a general counsel, if you were considering a law firm, how many open cases somebody might have and what their bandwidth might be to support your efforts. And this was the type of queryable data that was not previously available. So what you see is the application of new technologies applied to, to commercial segments, legal being one of them, where there's really an opportunity for unique disruption. Well, let me back up a little bit because this whole topic is very new to a lot of our uh, uh, readers and listeners. Can you back up just a tiny bit and tell us on Lex Machina, which, as you said, was, uh, uh, you, you, if I recall correctly, your organization led a second funding of that, and if I remember the figures, it was about $8 million. What that program, if I'm, if I'm accurate on this, focuses on um, patents, does it not? Or is it broader than that? 
Okay, so the initial market segment for Lex Machina is indeed on patents and IP litigation. And the, the history of, the, of the, the company is you had a collaboration that happened between the law school and the computer science department. And actually, some of the initial research was funded by uh, several major law firms in Silicon Valley, as well as several large corporate partners. And the idea was to try to understand how could the, the legal profession get better information to do their jobs better for their clients. And the company had some initial seed funding from some angels and some well-known people here in Silicon Valley when it was decided that this might actually have a commercial opportunity to be spun out of the university and to stop being research and be a commercial enterprise. The initial capital that was provided was you know, somewhere uh, less than a million dollars. And as the company started to grow, they brought in a new CEO, a gentleman by the name of Josh Becker. Josh actually is an alum of Stanford. He a, was a joint JD MBA and was somebody who I've had the good fortune of knowing for the last 15 years. Uh, Josh gave me a call and said, hey, I've got this new company and this new job. Can I come show it to you? And as is typical for Silicon Valley, that kind of connection uh, often leads to people doing business together. Uh, Josh came into our offices and we began to really talk through the greater opportunity in front of the company. And so we actually then jumped in and led a round of funding that I believe the total was a little over $2 million uh, for the second round of funding. And so we were in very early again when the company had some very small revenues, but was really starting to figure out how to take the product and the technology to market. Uh, and then since that time, the company did raise an additional round of funding that was almost $5 million, which is all of those three rounds together get to that $8 million that, number that you mentioned. Got it. What I found particularly intriguing about Lex Machina was the, the opportunity, as you said, was so interesting on how it got started. But if I recall correctly, the, the folks who use it, if they're a law firm or lawyers, they pay a fee for the service. But it was built in such a way that students and the government could access it for free or, I assume, very minimal uh, fees. What I loved about that was the synergy of being able to say, okay, this is a tool that serves many different purposes, but we're also being cognizant of who can afford to pay and who cannot afford to pay. Is, is that an accurate re recollection? It is. One of the key motivating factors of the Office of Technology and Licensing at Stanford, or the OTL, is that they are judged less so on the amount of capital that they make from licensing Stanford's intellectual property and work that's developed at Stanford, but in getting technology diffused into society. And so while they are very supportive of enabling commercial opportunities, one of the key variables by which every employee there is judged is the ability to have an impact on the greater good of society. So when this technology was spun out of Stanford and commercialized, uh, there were provisions to ensure that both research could continue on it as well as government entities uh, would be able to use the technology for the greater good. And so you, you, you're able to simultaneously uh, create a company that could be for-profit, create jobs and help lawyers do their jobs better, and by the same token, also have an impact on government and research settings. And speaking of commercials, we're going to take a very brief break. 
and be right back. And we're going to be talking next about what advice you give for both lawyers and vendors who might be interested in pursuing venture capitalism. We'll be right back. Does your law firm need an investigator for a background check, civil investigation, or other type of investigation? PINow.com is a -a one-of-a-kind resource for locating investigators anywhere in the U.S. and worldwide. The professionals listed on PINow understand the legal constraints of an investigation, are up-to-date on the latest technology, and have extensive experience in many types of investigation, including workers' compensation and surveillance. Find a pre-screened private investigator today. Visit www.pinow.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. We are back. Our guest is Rob Siegel, and he is with, and pronounce it for me because I think I, I screwed it up. Is it, is it uh, Exceed or, or Exceed? Exceed. Kinda, it's a play on words. It's spelled X-S-E-E-D, but it's about exceeding, exceeding expectations, uh, exceeding everything that you hope. As an entrepreneur, you can dream and invent, but because it's spelled S-E-E-D, we're seed investors. Well, I thought that was extremely clever and uh, a, a typical uh, Silicon Valley wit and smarts all combined. Um, everybody at Legal Tech is going to salivate over, over the options that you, you all are developing in Silicon Valley, uh, be they the lawyers who want to represent the startups or the startups themselves that want to break out from, from the pack. Tell us a little bit what advice you would give. I know from my reading, that uh, just because you get funded does not mean you are going to, su- to succeed. And in fact, most, if, if my statistics are correct, most startups do fail. So what advice would you give to someone who either has a product or is a lawyer who wants to represent a, a, a new company? I think the first filter is somebody should be understanding what kind of business that the founders are trying to build. There are a lot of great companies in the world that will become five, ten, or fifteen million dollars a year in sales. And those are companies, if they're profitable, they should be built. But those companies are not necessarily uh, the types of companies that venture capitalists will fund. And it's not because venture capitalists are bad people, but venture capitalists are looking for high reward because there's such high risks. Now, you hit on a very key point. In venture capital, generally speaking, six of every 10 investments go bust. Uh, And then about two of them, you get your money back, and you actually make money on two of the 10 investments that you make. And with that kind of of ratio, because you're taking such high risks, you're looking for companies that have the potential to get very big. And so the first thing an entrepreneur and and his or her counsel should be thinking of is, well, how big a business is this? Is this a a nice business that's going to employ 5, 10, 15, 20 people? 
or does this have the ability to become a really large company? If it's the former and the company needs outside funding, the best sources are, are angels, wealthy individuals who can uh, provide startup capital to get it going. If indeed this has the potential to be a very large business, uh, then an entrepreneur in approaching venture capitalists wants to be quickly describing the problem that's being solved, for whom the problem is being solved, and how that solution that the company has invented is unique and hard for somebody else to replicate. And then start thinking about what's the path towards commercialization and what's the path towards growing the business over time. Every time I'm at Legal Tech, our big show, particularly the Legal Tech in New York, I'm just so fascinated walking the show floor and seeing all the new products and all the developments, some small, some gigantic. The, the dream of the legal technology community is to develop a, a, a program that they ultimately sell to now the big four, Walters Kluwer, Bloomberg, LexisNexis, or Thomson Reuters. I think their agenda is getting a little broader now because now they're vying the idea of, instead of selling it, getting some venture capital money that they can bring in. Um, your advice has been fabulous so far. Anything else that you've noticed or you would recommend to the legal technology crowd? Uh, it, there seems to be such a flurry of new products out there. What, what, what would help them the most from your point of view? I think the key things that people should focus on as entrepreneurs is trying to understand the size of the opportunity and how the product being built fits that opportunity. Is the entrepreneur building a vitamin or a painkiller? If it's a vitamin, which is something that makes us feel a little bit better and is a good thing, um, those aren't generally businesses that scale to large numbers quickly. A painkiller is one when you solve a problem that cannot be solved today. You either do it in a way that it can't be done before or it's faster or it's substantively cheaper than it's being done today. And so in, in speaking with a venture capitalist, I'd encourage the entrepreneurs to be trying to understand how is this product and solution going to meet a large market need and how is it going to solve the problem of the customers? And then secondarily, once you've got an understanding of that, how are you going to get access to lawyers? You know, the legal profession has many different subsegments. Different types of lawyers practice different types of law. And so if one is looking at, is one trying to approach large law firms? How do you get penetration in selling to large law firms? Is one trying to speak to general counsels and large corporations? How are you going to get access to them? Is one looking at the long tail, you know, smaller law firms who have perhaps fewer attorneys on staff, but might have a specific need. And then understanding how you're going to be able to go to those customers and generate revenue from them. Because oftentimes the marketing and business side, the go-to-market strategies can be just as important or even more important than the initial product that's being built. That is wonderful advice. And I think it's very pragmatic for, for, for our uh, audience as well. We could clearly talk all day on this. You are just such a good speaker on this, and I'm sure we've whetted the appetites of our tremendous audience. If folks wanted to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that? 
The best way would be to look at our company's website, which is www.xseedcap.com. Have a look at, at how we uh, invest and, and the, the segments that we go after. And then there's con- uh, ways to contact us from that website. Well, I so thank you. Again, we've been speaking with Rob Siegel of Exceed. And to do some last uh, housekeeping, I want to remind everyone that you can find this podcast in three locations at the Legal Talk Network, www.legaltalknetwork.com, at the ALM site, which is www.lawtechnologynow.com. And as I always say, because we are so cool, we are on iTunes. Thanks to Rob Siegel. Thanks to our producers in Denver, Amy Thompson and James Palmer. In Los Angeles, CEO Adam Cameras. In New York, my wonderful producer, Charles Garner. And my wonderful boss, David Brown, who is Vice President and Editor-in-Chief of ALM. And my final sign-off, as always is, remember, and this one's very hard for Yankee fans right now, there is no crying in baseball or technology. I'm Monica Bay, and we will listen to you and hear from you on the October edition of Law Technology Now. Thanks for listening to Law Technology Now, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join Monica Bay for our next podcast covering the technology issues affecting the legal profession. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.